Blackwater, The Wagner Group, Executive Outcomes, The Flying Tigers, The Swiss Guard, The White Company, The Knights Templar, The Varangian Guard, Clercus of Sparta, Pythagoras the Spartan, Mentor of Rhodes, Socrates of Achaea. The list is endless. Mercenaries, Guns for Hire, Soldiers of Fortune, Private Military Companies, Private Security Contractors, Dirty Deeds, <laughs> Not So Dirt Cheap. History is replete with privatized militaries. Call them what you want. They have been around for a very long time, and they are very likely not going away anytime soon. And like it or not, wars are good, very good for business. Furthermore, history tells us that more people are enslaved and killed by such means as greed, corruption, oppression, and tyranny than by any other means. So choose the red pill, remove your blinders, all of them, and take a good sensory inventory of what you're being told and shown to believe. Because here we go. Hello everyone, and welcome to another episode of Oconus, The Contractor's Life. Talking from the relatively insulated and bucolic rural foothills of northwestern Washington State. I'm your host, Scott Dresser. Life as a private security contractor in a hostile or a war-torn zone, or as some call it, an austere or a non-permissive environment. Well, it is a mixed bag of blessings. Some good and some not so good. All in all though, private security contracting is much the same as life. It is what you make it. The MENA region, or the Middle East North Africa region. Lands of enchantment, lands of mystery, lands of the old ones and the ancient ones. Myths, legends, folklore, maybe. If you believe what you read in the ancient and the holy texts, then you know that it all centered around what we refer to as the MENA region. That's right, the Mediterranean. And you probably also know that to every legend or myth, there is a base of at least some truth. Okay, folks, that said, thank you for tuning in to this episode of Aconis, The Contractor's Life the 10th episode in this the third season so as promised in the previous episode we are back in Baghdad or Iraq whatever you want to call it uh, <laughs> obviously Baghdad is in Iraq uh, but that's where I went uh, after I left the Jalalabad region in Afghanistan uh, there was about a two-month stay before I went over uh, wasn't sure I wanted to go back and anyway the way things worked out I went back. Uh, so what's it like going back? Well, it's kind of, uh, you get mixed emotions. On the one hand, it's like, yeah, been here, done it, seen it, no problem, got it. On the other hand, it's like, ah, shit, here we are again. What the F? Fortunately, when I got back there, it was springtime or uh, I guess technically late winter. It wasn't quite spring yet. Uh, so... 
you know, it had gotten cold uh, in the region where I was at before I went home. And, of course, when I got home, uh, where I reside, it was wintertime. Uh, and then when I got back to Iraq approximately two months later, um, again, we were late winter, early spring there. So I, um, it wasn't that bad, you know, in terms of weather. It was actually like, whew. I mean, it was it, at night and in the early morning, um, it, relatively speaking, comparatively, it was cold. Cold enough that I had to wear a coat, jacket um, in the early mornings. Um, and arguably, you, you know, you could during the day. I mean, there were people that did. Um, but, uh, yeah, so there I was back in the Baghdad uh, area. I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time uh, because I've done this before in Season 2. But there were some things that I skipped or missed. Um, so, you know, go into that a little bit. Uh, and so when we're done with this segment, uh, I don't know, two, three, four, five episodes, we'll go back to Afghanistan on with a different company, uh, different projects, and different parts of Afghanistan. But for now, back to Baghdad, baby. So the company is Torres. Uh, they had different divisions within the company. This division was AES. I think I've mentioned that before. And as I recollect, AES was their Advanced Enterprise Services uh, Department, Division, whatever you want to call it. Um, and I remember having heard about these people when I was in Kuwait. I was working with the guy that I didn't like, that we didn't get along. But he got a job offer with Torres and uh, left that contract early and went. So long story short, when I heard about Torres and they were looking to hire, and I don't remember how this went. Uh, but anyway, when the recruiter reached out to me, we did some talking. Um, one thing led to another. And as I've stated before, uh, my quote-unquote final interview was over the phone with uh, one of the heads of the company uh, and <clears throat> after that there I am so I want to say it was roughly sometime in the month of February when I left home and and landed there in in the area um, so this particular project uh, for those of you that uh, maybe listen to the episodes discussing uh, brief portions of this uh, I, in last season's so this was over in <clears throat> what was regarded as the old U.S. Embassy, the building, the structure that was originally used for the State Department <clears throat> in the earlier parts of the Second Gulf War. Um, so that, that, was, that was where I was at that camp. Uh, that base, it was, uh, it was near or like within stone's throw anyway, of Iraq Police Academy training stuff. Um, it wasn't that long of a drive to the various venues that you might need to go to or that you would end up going to periodically from time to time. Um, but for the most part, I spent most of my time on those grounds. I did uh, venture out. I did uh, go other places for a variety of reasons, which I will go into later. But, uh, yeah, there I am. And I think I've mentioned before, my, it, my first day, maybe my second day, um, it was kind of, <clears throat> kind of odd, kind of weird. Uh, people were looking at me uh, like, you know, who is this guy and yada, yada. 
So it turns out about two to three days into it, uh, the site security manager uh, had a uh, came up to me. We had a brief discussion, and it was about the facial hair. <laughs> yeah. So the company, and again, they weren't the only company. As time went on, fewer and fewer companies had issues with it, but you still have companies that have this facial hair thing. Uh, anyway, long story short, uh, he said I had to shave it off. It was company policy, yada, yada, yada. I'm like, hey. I, I never read anywhere anything about that. Nobody ever told me anything about it. You know, and his only retort was, well, you know, that's the company rules, the company policy. You can have a mustache. But anyway, so I uh, I dragged it out for two or three days. Um, you know, guys were talking to me about it. Long story short, I did. But um, as one guy that I came to know really well, um, and we got along really well, and we're, we're friends to this day, said, you know, um, I kept the stash and it grew into what he likened as a gnarly stash. <laughs> I, I, I let it grow as thick and big and as long as I could, um, almost like twin beards, <laughs> if you will. Um, but so that, that was my, so my first few days, five days, first week there on the ground, um, I wasn't real hip on the company culture and one thing or another and uh, I had some serious misgivings and I spent a fair amount of time debating whether I wanted to stick around on that project or not I did so anyway I made it through that um, you know and <clears throat> stuck around and uh, good times to be had after that um, Turns out I was also what you might call a rarity or an oddity there on that camp, at least for that firm. Um, and as time went on, I knew that to be true. Not to say that there weren't um, some good people on that camp, in working for that company, on that project, there were. Um, most of them kept their head down, but it quickly became apparent that a majority of most of these people that were there just really weren't taking their job serious they weren't giving it their all they weren't doing everything they could do to make things better to improve um, so I stepped up and, and I took the the bull by the horns if you will I took the control of the reins uh, for those sectors that I was responsible for and I made a lot of changes and <clears throat> did things uh, differently let's just put it that way so for those folks that, that want a number or a hand count, finger count, whatever you want, of the people that, in my opinion, that were part of that project, that measured up or were good people and actually did their job, um, or at least were trying to if they weren't stymied, because uh, anybody that's worked as a private contractor understands what I mean by being stymied and then putting obstacles and roadblocks in your way, trying to trip you up and keep you from from being creative and thinking outside the box and improving and, and making things better. They, they want the status quo, which usually is subpar, okay? It doesn't measure up. And you're asking yourself, we're out here in the red zone, and it's like, what the fuck, man? You know, I mean, that was, I, I couldn't help but think that almost daily. So I'd say for the firm I was working for on that project, there was probably between, th well, I'd say five to seven people that, in my opinion, were good people that were honestly, truly, 
trying to do a really good job. Now, as time went on, as we got nearer and nearer toward the end of my time there, before I went on a different project, uh, we got a few more people that came in, filtered through, went on and did other things. Um, but yeah, so I'd say roughly five to seven really good people. The rest uh, ran the gamut between marginal shithead to shithead. And I'm just being honest. Now, that's not to say that I didn't try to get along with them, but that only goes so far. In my book, if you're not there to do your job and do the best you can and make a difference and improve and make things better, um, then you shouldn't be there. And, and quite frankly, on probably every project I was on, there was a host of people, um, a segment of people, small or large, but usually relatively large, who shouldn't have been there, okay, for a multitude of reasons. But we also know staffing requirements necessitate you got to have warm bodies. You got to fill the numbers. A, you can't keep into contract compliance, and B, you don't make any money if you don't. So I'm saying there, there are incentives and reasons for, for, for doing the things that people do. Uh, whether they're cleared or not, regardless of their security clearance level, um, so <clears throat> there, uh, for those that are wondering or asking, I think I mentioned it before, the, the, the base, the FOB, the whatever you want to call it, the camp was shield. Okay, back then it was FOB shield, uh, and, and then um, that was in the days of DOD. And when DOS, you know, when that whole thing started to transition from DOD, when they started to leave uh, before they came back with another surge, uh, when DOS basically took over, um, when they took charge, they were in command and control of that stuff. It then changed to JSS Shield. So from FOB Shield, which is Forward Operating Base Shield, to JSS or Joint Security Site, something like that, whatever it was, some fancy, you know, tone it down, politicized type thing. But it was basically a joint base that was going to, you know, that the State Department would. So the Defense Department was still there. There were still those people there, defense agencies and whatnot, but you also had uh, a multitude of other agencies that either, that either had a permanent or semi-permanent presence there, came and went one thing or another. Uh, interesting place to be. Uh, it, was a nice, it was a nice work environment. Like I said, I mean, there was a lot of people from a lot of entities uh, working there. Uh, so my position... Um, I think I was told, you know, like it took two or three days before, you know, everything came together. Well, five to seven for sure. Um, but my position was supervisor. They called me a shift supervisor. Um, we had one or two shift supervisors that were supposed to supervise us. Um, it quickly became apparent to at least one of them that guys like me didn't need to be supervised. We knew what we were doing, you know, and we basically could call the shots and do whatever we wanted, uh, because they trusted us. They knew what was going on. Um, you know, cause there's, like I've said before, uh, most places there's eyes and ears everywhere. So you're not fooling anyone. You're not getting away with anything. It doesn't matter what you think. You're not, you know, somebody seeing and hearing what you're actually doing or <laughs> what you're actually not doing. And that happens a lot. And as you might guess, it happened a lot there. Uh, yes, it did. I uh, fairly quickly gained a reputation. <laughs> I was either the guy that you liked to see and wanted around or the guy you didn't want to see and didn't want around. <laughs> you know, 
no problem. Um, that's me. Uh, you love me or you hate me, you like me or you don't. That's just the way it is, and I got no problem with it. Um, and I don't have a problem. I'm, I'm usually actually very good at paying attention, listening, looking, smelling, and sensing. Okay, I take all my senses, I combine it, especially when you're in a new place, new environment. Um, you might be in the same region, the same general location, but when you're at a new place, new faces, you got to step down a little bit and you got to take it all in and you got to put your feelers out there and get a sense of what's really going on. And even when, in my opinion, once you know what's going on, you still have to have a sense of humility. You still need to listen you still need to look, observe, be aware, um, and do a lot more sensory intake than sensory outtake. In other words, pay attention to what's going on way more than verbal garbage. Okay, You don't need to be the guy on the podium 24-7. Because I guarantee you, and there was no shortage of it there, everybody, well not everybody, but it seems like most of the people you're working with consider themselves to be a professional expert in their field. My take was, because I figured it out pretty quick, and, and the longer you're there, the, the more you figure it out. There's a lot of really smart, intelligent people that have been doing what they've been doing for a while. They know, what, they know, they know their job, and they're pretty well connected. They know what's going on. So in my book, it was like, you know what, just take it easy, do your job, you're just one person, I'm one person, okay, this is my role, this is what I do, um, and if you've got some input or some feedback or you got something to say, say it. If it's good, if it makes sense, if it, especially if it's something I hadn't thought of, and, you know, that happens, relatively speaking, a little bit, a lot. It just depends, right? Um, so th that was that was basically my viewpoint, my take on pretty much everything, um, and it started with my time, as some of you might remember, in the first uh, season when I was in Kuwait. Uh, there was a lot of new stuff, and I did a lot of sensory intake, a lot. I mean, I really didn't speak a whole lot. And when I did, it was just general chatter, but most it was just paying attention and listening to the guys that wanted to talk because they were bored. Okay. Um, and that's generally what I do when I'm working. Once in a while, if we got some downtime or a break, yeah, we'll have some guy talk, one thing or another. But there we are. Um, Fob Shield, which, of course, later became JSS Shield. It was transitioning by the time I left later that year toward the end of it. I don't remember the exact date, but it was sometime around October that year uh, that I left, uh, mid-late. Uh, but I'll go into all this and cover the stuff in between. But for now, folks, back in Baghdad, Iraq. Um, and I'm just going to say it. <laughs> One of my best friends to this day that I met, Kevin Bateman. There you go. I said it. Kevin Bateman. All right, brother. Love you like a brother to this day. So then, with that said, uh, that's a wrap for this episode. We'll come back to it in the next episode. And I want to thank you, everyone, for taking time out of your day, afternoon, or evening to listen to me talk about private security contracting overseas, as well as, occasionally, some of my experiences as a private security contractor here in the States. I want to say thank you to my wife. 
for whom I owe immeasurable gratitude. Thank you to my family, my friends, and all the people, male and female, who have been and still are a part of my life. Remember, folks, it does take a team. The grass is not always greener on the other side. So be careful what you wish for. You might just get it. Stay humble, stay safe, and keep others safe by being aware and staying frosty. And until next time, keep it real. Oconus the Contractor's Life extends a special thank you to music composer Kava Cohen and to Colin Perry of Ninja Tracks for allowing Oconus the Contractor's Life the use of Kava's song, Heavy Clutch, from the music soundtrack to the game Forza Motorsport 7. And also, a big thank you to Andres Rodriguez, who can be found at the Fiverr website for his excellent original music scores.